Well, again, good morning. Welcome. I'm really, really glad that you're here. And um, here we are in the last week in this series, and I, I, I thank you for uh, your participation. If I can just tell that everybody has really been digging in to what it means to live in a, what, what would be a Christian home. Some of you are maybe just investigating that question today, and I'm really glad that you're uh, here just kind of investigating that whole thing. And so now we get to this whole issue of being children, and it led me to a story this week that I thought I'd tell you to lead things off. There once was this little old man, kind of frail, and, and he, his eyes blinked and his hands trembled, and he often, when he ate, he would miss his mouth, and a little bit of food would dribble down to the tablecloth. And it happened to be that this man, this old man, lived with his son and his daughter-in-law, and his daughter-in-law did not like the arrangement very much. So she would say things like, oh, this is really getting out of hand, the, meeting, the meals together, what a mess. And so finally, she and her husband decided to take uh, you know, a different tact in the whole thing. So they took the old man gently but firmly by the arm and led him to a corner of the kitchen. And there they set him on a stool and they gave him a plastic bowl and they put his food in it and that's where he ate every meal. One day... His hands were trembling so badly that his bowl fell over and food flew everywhere. And his daughter-in-law finally had enough. She said, look, if you're going to eat like a pig, you're going to need to eat out of a trough. And so her husband, the man's son, made a little wooden trough for the man, and he got his meals in that from that time on. Well, it just so happens that the couple also had a four-year-old son. And one evening, the young dad noticed his son playing intently with some bits of wood and said, boy, what are you making? And he said, well, Dad, I'm making a trough to feed you and Mama out of when I get big. And so the story kind of brings to mind the uncomfortable fact that it's likely that our children are going to treat us the way we treat our parents. So here we are, and as seen on TV, we come to this issue of being children, and uh, we've been in this great passage all month long talking about rules for a Christian household in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6. So let's go there now. Our passage today brings us to what it means to be children under God's rule. Ephesians 6 verse 1, the Bible says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. This is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. So Paul says that a child's first duty in a Christian home is obedience. Just mull the word over a little bit in your mind. Obedience. Say it with me. Obedience. That does not sit well. You didn't say it very well, AC3. It's, I can tell you're very uncomfortable with that word. And it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, think about it for a second. I mean, we're not just children. We're Americans. And the revolutionary slogan was, don't tread on me. And you might say that the country was begun in a grand demonstration of disobedience. Problem. So, while you're pondering our cultural hang-up with the word obedience, let's examine it for a little bit, and we'll look at this passage. Here's Paul, and he says, it's right for you to obey your parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Why is it right? And now what he does is he goes back 1,500 years. So Paul is 2,000 remo years removed from you. He goes back to Moses, 1,500 years removed from him. He says, this is why it's right. It's right because in God's Ten Commandments, there is a there is a rule just for children. And the rule is, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, honor your father and mother, and then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. 
here's what Paul happens to note. He's expositing the text, and he says, hmm, I just happen to notice that of all the Ten Commandments, it's the first one and the only one with a promise. This is the commandment that has an if-then proposition. It's the only one of the ten that has a proposition attached to it. If you do this then, then it will go well with you, and you will live a long life. Now, scholars will debate about what exactly is being promised here to obedient children. And um, we're, we're questioning whether there's an actual number of decades. That's, that's probably not what's meant here. Obedient children, you're going to live to 90. You know, like there's, there's not an actual number of decades promised. Because Moses attaches a phrase to the, to the, uh, to the promise, live a long life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So that part is probably how long, it, it probably not about how long any one individual will live. Rather, it's God saying this. Listen, if you obey this command, then your nation will be strong and secure, and it will survive securely in its borders. It will endure. Then you, you all together, will endure collectively long in the land. Now, even if this isn't God saying necessarily that all obedient children will live to age 100, in which case the Jews will be scrambling for their retirement security, like we're going to have to have a big safety net because we're going to have a lot of sedentarians around here. Even if that's not exactly what God is promising here, uh, we should note that Paul understood this on a very personal level because he adds a little phrase that's not in the Mosaic commandment. He says, then it will go well for you and you will live a long life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So Here's God clearly giving a personal and a corporate promise attached to only one of the big ten, his top ten moral um, guidelines. Why? Why that one and no other? I want to dive into that for a little bit because it's going to help us understand how to be children no matter how old you are. To understand the specialness of this commandment, we need to look at where it fits in the other commandments. And maybe you've never thought about this before, but if you look at all ten collectively on a list, they fit nicely into categories. So look at the first four, for example. Here they are, commandment number one, my summaries, loving God best, keeping God first, honor God with your mouth, honor God with your time. There's the first four commandments. And they categorize beautifully under the category of, under the title of, relationship with God. Then you have the next five, right? And here they are. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, and don't covet your neighbor's stuff. And the theme, the overarching topic of the second tablet really is relationship with others. And here's number five, and it sits right in the center. And what does it talk about? It talks about your parents. So you might say, well, that fits on the second tablet then. So you've got a four and a six. A relationship with God, relationship with others. But if we understand it right, AC3, and I'm going to, we're going to talk about this now, you understand this is a hinge commandment that now has relevance for two tablets, for both sets of rules. Why? Well, because the first, or the fifth commandment rather, the one about honoring your father and mother is first about authority. It's all about authority. Now, what is authority? Let's define it, okay? So here's what authority means. Authority means the right or the power to compel assent. Another way of saying that is the right or the power to make you do stuff, to compel you to comply. That's what authority means. So two questions flow out of this definition of authority. Number one, who has the right to tell you what to do? Have you defined that in your life? I mean, think about that. That's not a question we spend a lot of time thinking about. We're Americans. So who has the right to tell me 
what to do. Second question that flows out of authority is, who has the power to make it so? Who has the power to make me do it? Now, little, you know, often unbeknownst to us, we have many voices in our culture that are calling us to obey them. We have many people, voices, institutions, that are trying to set themselves up as an authority in your life, legitimately or illegitimately. We live in a very materialistic culture, and there's a lot of corporations that want to tell you what to do. But this is very sneaky, right? They're very under the radar, very surreptitiously trying to become an authority in your life. And the way they do it was probably most beautifully illustrated by Sprite. Remember the ad campaign of Sprite, Obey Your Thirst, right? That's a, that's a call to an, to, to an authority in your life, but it's sneaky. It's, well, no, 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 don't obey us. I mean, we're just a humble little multinational corporation. Uh, don't obey us. No, don't obey your thirst. No, don't obey the ad. Obey your thirst, which this ad is commanding you to obey. But don't think about it like that. No, no, no. Obey your thirst. Well, really, that's a way of obeying you. So really, you're the authority that you obey, which we are calling you to obey. Very sneaky, but there's a lot of people, a lot of institutions, and a lot of voices trying to be an authority in your life to tell you what to do. You need this. You have to buy this. You have to go here. You have to do this. That's a primary question. Who has the right to tell you what to do? Who do you obey? Who can force you to do something? Okay, so God, if there is a God, and some of you are investigating that question today, right? So we don't assume that you come into the room today because maybe somebody invited you and you're thinking about this and you're going, well, I'm, that's an open question for me. But you can probably grant me this. If there is a God, the primary fact, capital F, behind the universe, such a God, such a one, is a natural authority. Because God makes. What, what God makes, God has authority over, right? You make something, you have authority over that. You make a car, you get to tell it where to go, and what to do. So God, being the maker of everything, has, he's a natural authority. He gets the, he's the right to tell us what to do. Funny thing, though, about God. God as a natural authority most often will not use his power to compel assent. He will not use his power, in other words, to make you do what he wants you to do. He's an authority in your life, but he won't make you do stuff he wants you to do. That's a very interesting thing about authority, isn't it? See, it's the thing about in the commandments. He says, I have the right to tell you to do stuff. Thou shalt. Thou shalt not. But I'm not going to make you do it. That's an interesting thing because it really kind of shows the difference between two different kinds of laws, AC3. We should understand this. The world you live in, the universe that we inhabit, is full of laws. It's full of physical laws, natural laws. And we call them laws because they describe the way that nature behaves. And they're inviolable. They, they, they never change. Nature always behaves in this way. Try breaking the law of gravity. Yeah, can't do it, right? The law of gravity is unbreakable. Pilots of airplanes, they know that you never escape the law of gravity. You can only overcome the law of gravity temporarily by appealing to other laws, higher laws about lift and drag and coefficient and airspeed and the whole thing but lose a wing or an engine, and you realize that nobody breaks the law of gravity, though it might break you. You don't break physical laws. Moral laws aren't like that. You can break moral laws. 
instead of describing the way things behave, moral laws describe the way things ought to behave. Instead of describing what things always do, moral laws describe what things always should do. It's a totally different deal, isn't it? And as such, you don't have to obey them. You can break moral laws because God doesn't impose his authority at every point. He has the right to make laws because he's the maker. He's the designer, right? He, he gives you the operator's manual. That's in one sense what you can call the great Ten Commandments is the operator's manual for the human race. But he doesn't impose that power to force compliance of that design specifications at every given point. He simply says, I am God, I made you, I love you, obey my laws. Now that takes us right back to the Garden of Eden. So here we are in the infancy of the human race. And you ask yourself, did God make laws even back then? Because, you know, that predates Moses by millennia. So here's Moses outlining laws. Then you say, well, what about at the infancy of the human race? Is God making laws or does he say, hey, let's just kind of see how this thing goes for a little bit? You know, here's the earth, humanity. Have at it. No, actually, you you, you look inside uh, of the creation narrative and here's God setting out a law. Of any tree in the garden, he says to Adam and Eve, you may freely eat. But of the law, or I'm sorry, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you must not eat. There it is. A law in the cradle of the human race. But again, he doesn't force compliance, does he? Does he force them not to eat it? Does he force them not to eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? No, he does not. They are free to break it, and they break that rule post-haste. So you might respond, all right, well, thank you, Rick, for bringing that whole thing up. Because you just brought up my issue. This is my issue with church. This is my issue with God. This is my issue with Christianity. This is my issue with the the Bible. It is always about the rules. You can't escape the rules. There's Moses. He's laying down rules. And here's God in the Garden of Eden. You can't escape it. Even in the pristine garden, there's rules, man. That cramps my style. My issue with my parents, all the rules. Maybe that's where you're at. It's all about the rules, and I grate against the rules. Well, listen. Um, you might be misunderstanding things here because there's something else going on. Because notice, God doesn't impose his will to follow the rule. What does he do? He gives them a line, he outlines the consequence, and then he stands back and watches. And what does he watch? He watches to see if they will trust. And that's at the heart of the narrative. You thought it was all about the rule. It's something completely different. So the story, understand AC3, the story of the garden is not a story about the rule. The story of the garden is a story about faith and a terrible failure of Adam and Eve to trust. Before they break the rule, you understand, they broke faith. Before they broke the rule, they broke faith. So think about this for a second. They broke faith with with, with a trustworthy God. So we love to talk about it like this. When it comes to this issue of authority and obedience and it grates against us, the first thing we appeal to is untrustworthy authority. What happens, Rick, when you trust an untrustworthy authority? Shame, pain, and abuse. And we'll talk about those stories. And we'll talk about them rightly so because those are horrible stories that do come from untrustworthy authorities, untrustworthy policemen and untrustworthy priests and pastors and teachers. And the horrible stories in our culture come from authority figures that were untrustworthy. But you know, we talk a lot less about this. Let me ask you another question, the opposite question. 
What happens when you don't trust a trustworthy authority? Shame, pain, and abuse. The The exact same thing. Isn't that fascinating? This is where we're getting inside why the fifth commandment is a special commandment. We begin to understand that the Bible isn't a story about the rules. The Bible's a story about a God who seeks to create a people of his very own who will live by faith. Genesis to Revelation. The story of the Bible is not a story about the rules. It is a story about a God who is seeking to call a people his very own who will Trust him. And that's what living by faith means. Your agnostic neighbor or the guy in the lunchroom says living by faith means believing a bunch of stuff moronically without evidence. That's what he thinks living by faith means. But what it means biblically is simply to live by trust. Just live by trust in God. So back to the hinge commandment. God gives us this one key to finding the freedom in all the Ten Commandments, in all the other rules, in this one rule because we learn as babies that there's law in the universe there's authority in the universe which we ought to obey we don't have to but we ought to authority is there therefore we learn as children to protect us to guard us to keep us safe and to help us prosper and ac3 that's why it's the first commandment with a pro- with a promise attached to it authority says this is the way you were meant to live Here am I, I, the designer. I've got the design specifications. Follow the instructor's manual, and it's going to go great for you. And some of you really struggled with IKEA product because you tried to make it without reading the directions, right? And here's God saying, listen, I'm the designer. Here's the design instructions. If you do this, you're going to get it done in half the time, and it's going to go well with you. Thus, honor your father and mother clarifies all ten commandments clarifies the first four and it clarifies the last five how does it do it like this in the first four commandments which concern what relationship with god we learn that even when it's uncomfortable even when it doesn't suit us even when it's kind of an ill-fitting kind of thing that there's an authority behind the universe that can be trusted because learning and leaning into that authority um, brings us positive results and so we learn to trust our authority of our parents and when we do so we understand we're actually learning to first trust the authority behind the universe it's like your your home is authority training wheels and your children are looking at you and remember your your parents right and especially your father right in your mind's eye was he not like just this giant in your mind's eye you know like my dad he can beat up your dad or whatever by the way i always won that argument my dad was six foot four 280 so your, your dad, right, is this gigantic figure in your growing up years. But you were meant to realize that behind him is a greater, more primary authority of which he is simply a placeholder. So the, so the fourth command is informing you about all the other commands about God, training you to trust legitimate authority in your life. It's there to care for you and help you to prosper, to give you the design instructions for life. But then it also informs the last five commandments, which concern our dealings with others, with other people. Obeying our parents helps us realize that submitting to authority is good for everybody so that we all together can live harmoniously. 
I think it was C.S. Lewis who first uh, threw out this illustration about how God's guidance for life um, helps us live together in community. He talked about us as like a great armada or a fleet of ships, and each individual is one ship in the grand fleet of the human race. The first step in those ships moving forward together in harmony is each ship has to be in working order. Um, and I said it last night uh, on my first trial run. This is why you always need to practice your sermons out loud. I said each person has to get their ship together. And so, uh, uh, so that was the response. I couldn't get them back for about 10 minutes. So, so, uh, but this is a great il illustration, though. Everyone gets their boat in working order. That is, the first, that is the first key to us working together in harmony. And trusting God's commandments sets your inner world aright. And then, for the fleet to move, well, a second thing has to happen. We have to not bump into each other. So our internal systems have to work well, and then our navigation systems with one another have to work well. So the other people commands, which is don't lie, keep your promises, don't covet, don't steal, help us all stay aligned and not crash into the other boats. And again, this is why it's the first commandment with a promise. Notice the two promises that Paul mentions. He says, that it may go well with you which sets your inner world. It's a personal promise. Your inner world is set aright, that it may go well with you, and then your outer world is also harmonious. What's the promise? That you may live long in the land. You all, together, an enduring, prosperous society, everybody. So, think about that. Now we kind of understand. This is why there's a special commandment. It informs all the commandments. It's the first one with a promise. And now you may know someone in your world who's just thrown this one out. Whatever their personal set of values are or their personal guiding principles are, this one is not in there. You have someone who does not respect authority. And maybe it's someone in your own home. Maybe it's you. But think about how that's going for them, right? And then you just practically realize it's not going well for them. They have gotten themselves off the chain of command. From God as the primary authority and then through every other legitimate authority in the chain of command and they just jump ship. They just jumped out of the chain. Well, how's that going for them? They rail against parents, and they're in constant discipline. They rail against teachers, and they're being held back. They stick it to the man, and they're underemployed. They talk back to police officers, and they're incarcerated. They fight a policeman for his gun, and they're dead. Right? So, so you see, God knew when he conceived of the Ten Commandments that all he needed to do was if we begin by teaching honor at home, honor the authority in the home and then it would flow to every other legitimate authority in our lives for teachers and elders and policemen and government and finally to god himself all that authority would naturally flow if we learned it here first what's the point so that we learn about the rules no so that we learn to live with a lightness in our step trusting i mean this is an amazing thing about this we learn to trust Casey. We learn to trust. Now, you can talk to any psychologist, and a lot of you maybe go see one regularly. You see a counselor, and you talk to that person. You say, what do psychopaths and people who are not well-adjusted and people are really, really struggling, what do they all have in common? And across all of those people who are really struggling with adjustment in this world and in community, they do not trust. They don't trust anybody. They don't trust anyone. Paranoia is at the center of it. 
Their own self-absorption is, in fact, a result of their own paranoia and their inability to trust. And so they do not live with lightness or freedom in their step. The first thing God wants of us in this trusting relationship is not obey the rules because I said so. It's so that you can live lightly and freely in the Father's good care. And will you trust me? Now, if I've done my job, you have some objections. So here they are. Number one, wait a minute, Rick. Do I obey my parents all the time, always unquestioningly? Is that what the commandment is setting up for me? Well, let's review the commandment, shall we? Notice this is a hinge command, but it's not commandment number one, and there is a priority to the order. So in number one, we realize that God is our number one highest authority, and we obey him above any other earthly authority, including our parents. And Jesus was, by the way, very clear about this, that there would come times, and these would maybe be uh, the exception, but we would have to choose between two different authorities in our life. We would have to choose between God or our parents. And remember, once we're grown, we start to realize, wait, behind mom and dad, oh, that's right, primary authority. That's my primary loyalty. And there may be a time you have to choose between the two, and the answer is obvious. You must choose to obey God rather than men. That's how the apostles understood it. When they had their first run-in between legitimately constituted authority, their civil leaders, and God. And they just choose, chose God when they were in conflict. But probably we can also say that these are kind of like the exceptions that prove the rule. There would be those rare occasions. When we become adults, by the way, your parents may want to meddle in your life. Boy, man, I talk to a lot of people, and sometimes in the counselor's office, the issue in the marriage is really another marriage. And that's mom or dad, in-law, mother-in-law, or father-in-law. And there's little strings, and there's little bits of manipulation, and there's little things that are trying to be happening as the, the parents are still trying to exert authority over the new family unit. And sometimes it's like little things. Like, here's $5,000, son. I mean, you, I see you need a little help there. And then, oop, it's got a string attached. Boop, 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 boop. And so the new family is a little bit, um, at, uh, you know, functioning under the behest of the old family. Well, listen, if you do what the Bible says, and it sets up the marriage in this way, it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave, cling to his wife. If you do that, you set up a new family unit. And who is the boss of that family unit? Obey your mother and father. You are mother and father. You're the boss of the new family unit. And it may be that you have to reject some edicts that come from outside. You have to set up a new family unit. You're now the authority over that family, not your parents. But you honor them always. And honor means respecting opinions. It means also caring for them in their old age. Honor and obedience will sometimes diverge in the wood when you become older. So secondly then, Another objection, what if my parents weren't trustworthy or loving? And here we get to the money moment, right? Because through this whole thing, you've been saying, but my parents, Rick, if you only knew. And we know the stories. I've heard the stories, and they break my heart. And you'll say, you know, if you only knew my parents, you would never, never call me to honor them or love them or trust them or certainly not obey them. And listen, that whatever happened to you, if there was a neglect of an authority figure in your life, I'm sorry about that. I am. My, my heart grieves with you. Here's the irony I want you to see in that, is that that authority figure rejected authority. 
see everybody has a boss, right? And if everybody has a boss and the chain of command is working beautifully, God is the first. And then everybody flows somewhere in the chain of command. Everybody's got a boss. But your parents, if they abused you, they got out of the chain of command. And they said, screw you, God, to his rules about how they should raise children. When they abused you, when they neglected you, when they molested you, they said, I'm my own authority. I'm my own boss. And isn't that ironic? Here's the double irony. The double irony is because they abused their authority because they got out of the chain of command and did not submit to God's authority in their life. Now you have a hard time submitting to authority. And what a toxic chain we've just started. So friends, some of you to this day will have a struggle with it. And some of you, it's up front. It's really like an in-your-face kind of thing. You, 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 you get confrontational. You really hate uh, being somebody else's uh, lackey. Uh, every time you're pulled over by a cop, every time you're reprimanded by a teacher, every time you're written up at work, the attitude is, oh, yeah, well, who the heck are you? And you might even kind of say it like that. Others of you, it's a whole lot more subtle, but it's really the same thing underneath. You believe it just as fervently. You sneak, you keep secrets, you hide stuff. You're told, do X, Y, Z, or don't do X, Y, Z, but you just can't take being told what to do. And so you lie, or you cheat, or you, you just don't talk about it, and you do your own thing on the side. Both kinds of people are the same, really, though, aren't they? Both kinds of people isolated both kinds of people lonely. Why? Because they cannot, they will not surrender to authority and say, yes, sir, everybody has a boss. And why won't they do that? Because, in part, the authorities in their lives, and particularly their parents, maybe didn't live up to the responsibility or abuse that authority, sometimes, yes, in awful ways. So it's a tragic irony, I know, but listen to me carefully. One breach of authority does not justify the second, does it? I mean, so now what, what are we going to have? We're going to have anarchy where everybody is their own authority. Oh, what a mess. What a mess. Is that the answer or is the answer for you to jump back in, AC3, jump back into the chain of command? And everybody's got a boss. Well, I think probably the answer is to jump back into God's good chain of command and take it up from where you are right now. You say, how can I do that? How can he possibly ask me to honor the authorities in my life when they failed me so badly? Well, listen, it's not going to be simple. It's not as acting as if nothing has happened. It's not singing kumbaya around the Christmas dinner. Some of you are not going to be able to extend the hugs and kisses right away. The, the relationship so deeply broken, but here's how it begins. And you can begin to get back into the chain of command and step into honor again. You have to start letting go. And not the bad kind. Uh, how many of you have seen um, Frozen? How many of you have a uh, four-year-old daughter and you've seen it 500 times or more? So just me then? Okay. There will be a therapy session for all of us afterwards. Um, uh, the, the, the name haunts me in my, or the song haunts me in my dreams. And, and frankly, the lyrics are a little toxic. And it's the one song, right? It's the one song of the incredibly maladjusted little girl uh, who now is the, you know, the theme song for all these little princesses in our culture. She sings, let it go. But what's she letting go of? What is she letting go of? She's letting go of authority. She's letting go of convention. She's saying, I'm not going to follow your rules. That's a line in the song. No more right and wrong for me. Ah, 
as soon as she starts singing the actual words and not, let it go, let it go, na 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 as soon as she starts singing the actual words, we're turning it off. It just is not good. No, that's not healthy letting go. Healthy letting go, AC3, is when you can take someone who has disappointed you so gravely and you can let go of that offense and say, it will not define me, it will not be my ball of chain, it will not be the thing that um, surrounds me from this moment forward and continually pulls me back into dysfunction and codependence and negativity. And there's a Bible word for this process I'm talking about, this letting go thing. The Bible word is forgive. That's literally what the word forgive means. You've got to forgive them, AC3. And how are you going to do that apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ? How are you going to forgive them without the power of God's mercy in your life demonstrated on the cross? We celebrated this morning in communion. How are you going to do it without the power of the mercy of the cross or the example of the cross or the teaching of the one who went to the cross? How are you going to do it? Friends, you've got to let go. But to do that, you've got to understand Jesus' proposition for you. Here it is. Are you ready? In a sentence, Jesus says, I'm going to forgive the inexcusable in you. And you will forgive the inexcusable in others. And that's the deal. Got it? And if you don't get it, then it shows you really aren't interested in his offer. I will forgive the inexcusable in you, and you will forgive the inexcusable in others. So honoring a parent who has blown it is going to begin immediately to start working something, and it maybe begins for you in, in just this process of forgiveness, and you need to help with that, call the church office, or maybe the person who brought you, or a small group leader in a church, someone will land you and say, I got to talk to somebody about this, because I am hung up on this whole thing. Honoring my father and mother is just something so foreign. You may need help. We'd love to give it to you. But once you've forgiven them, AC3, here's the shock. Here's the surprise. It might open up pathways in your relationship with God that you knew nothing about. Because remember, it's the hinge command. To illustrate this, I want to tell you a story. And we'll close with this. It's a story of someone you know, or at least you've seen her all if you've been to church for any number of weeks. It's Brenda Hazen. She's the wife of Dan Hayes, our executive pastor, she leads worship up here. She's been an elder. She's been a leader in all sorts of different ways. And I got permission from her this week to tell her story. From the time that she was about five until she was 28 years old, she didn't know whether her father was alive or dead. So that's over 20 years and not a word, no contact. He was not a father to her. She was never parented by this man. Then she found him again. And after a long process, they began to define their relationship, and Brenda had a lot of feelings to sort through with that. So for the next 10 years, their relationship was at best pleasant but distant, at worst awkward and frustrating. Finally, a few years ago, Brenda made a, a trip to visit him, found him in Minnesota, of all places, and here's what's wild. Brenda said, one of the most significant things that came out of the visit was the feelings I had when I got to say, Dad out loud. Now, this is something you and I will just take for granted, but here's the deal. There are many times during her day when she's calling out to one of her brothers or her uh, stepmother or whatever, and she just asks a question, an everyday question. Where's dad? Or, hey, dad. And stuff that you would just pass off as a nothing, suddenly she would say the word, a word she couldn't say 
for 30 years in her life, and she's found something moving inside her, something freeing and right and safe and fulfilling. When she simply uttered the name that she was meant to say but could never say for decades, Dad. Why? I think because even in calling out the name, just the name, Dad, Daddy, Father, Papa, whatever name you choose to give the man who gave you life, there is honor in just saying the name. My own dear Father. There's a security. There's something, uh, at least, that was supposed to be there as security in your life, even if you didn't experience it as security when you were growing up in the moment. You can then begin to see that behind him, he was just a placeholder for the ultimate father in heaven. And there's a moment maybe in your life where you can see your father just shrink, shrink, shrink. I had everybody last night go through a mental exercise. I want you to imagine your father right now in your mind's eye. And some of you are filled with beautiful feelings. Oh, I love that man. And others of you are filled with frustration and disappointment and, yes, even anger and bitterness. But if we could all just see our fathers, this huge figure, just see him shrink and shrink and, and go backwards in time. And now he's just a baby. And now he's being held by Jesus. And if you could begin to see it then, you can see the father behind the father. And then you can begin to heal. And that's what happened for Brenda in just saying the name. And she'll tell you something else began to break loose inside her after that visit. After embracing the simplest form of honor, she felt a new freedom that just began to trickle into her life in places that she would never felt were, would have ever been connected to the fifth commandment. Things like intimacy with God, suddenly that broke through for her. Suddenly things like hearing God's voice, taking risks, letting go of old pain and dysfunction, establishing priorities. She found new closeness with God in the simple act of honoring her father, who for decades had been dishonorable. Why? I think maybe because it ushered authority back into her life. And in good authority, you rest. You can just rest. And you can let go of anxiety. And you can let go of fear. And the crippling sense that you're the only one who can keep yourself protected and okay. And she was able to trust God more with the authority that he asked of her to embrace, honoring him in all sorts of new ways and plans and commands and a new level of trust and anticipation. And here's a word, vulnerability. Men and women, listen. The fifth commandment was set up for a very specific reason. And it was not to give the establishment the leverage in your life to make you a pawn. That's not what the chain of command is about. The fifth commandment was not written to make the general's life less complicated. It was written to make the soldier safe. The fifth commandment wasn't given to ensure that governments have compliant citizens. It was written so that citizens are treated justly and fairly. The fifth commandment wasn't written to make the teacher's job easier. It was written so that the student can learn. It was not written so that the church leader can extract more money over the sheep. It was written so that church members, every disciple of Jesus, can grow together into the fullness of Christ. Listen to me, AC3. It wasn't written for parents. It was written for children. And as I look out over this room, I see many who are parents, but not everyone. And yet everyone here is a child. Let me pray for you. Oh, Father, may we learn to live lightly 
entrusting your authority in our life. There are some in this room for whom that whole context is broken. And I just pray that you would speak grace and hope into them as they learn to see that behind the broken authority figures in their life is you. And you are either well or poorly represented by those placeholders. May we get back into the chain of command, God, and so learn to rest and trust and be people of faith. I pray this in the name of Jesus, who revealed Father. Amen. So glad, so glad you're here and just taking this all in with me. We're going to keep this learning going and extended where we're talking about family ID, so I want to invite you to that. We're going to do that here in these middle sections. And then next week, I want to invite you back to a brand new series on pain, dealing with the painful Ds. Invite a friend. We would love to have them. We'll see you all next week.